You're listening to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm Gandalf. I'm Matt. And I'm Nathan Van Horn. The Bible is the most read book ever, but for many, it is merely fiction. Join our conversation as we connect the dots to reveal that the story of the Bible is not only true, it's better than fiction. To learn more about the show, visit us online at betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com. Welcome back, listener, to episode 21 of the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm glad that you guys are joining us once again. I'm glad that these two guys, Nathan and Matt, are joining us once again. And today, uh, we're going to be talking about, <laughs> in a completely different change of gears, we're going to be talking about um, murder. The hit job. <laughs> it's, uh, it's quite a shift from what we were talking about last episode. I don't think you could like have Man, things, more. Man, things escalated really quickly from cheating on our diet to brother killing brother in one chapter. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. yeah, that got out mm-hmm. of hand. It kind of it's a rather soap opera ish too because we had chapter four verse one last week and now somebody's getting murdered. So yeah, like first thing you know, Adam knows Eve, and then the, this next thing we know, someone's dead. <laughs> it just well, I mean, yeah. So I, I was this thinking, is soap opera. I, yeah, it I was is, thinking I though, know. like the next time you get caught like snacking at midnight, and you're like, "What's the big deal? What's the worst that could happen for cheating on my diet?" And the next, you know, the next day you have a murder mystery. Yep, there you go. Well, um, it's actually, you know, in opposition to how we run the podcast, you know, we have a very measured slow pace. We've joked about it the past couple episodes about how we were in Genesis 3 for about 10 episodes. But I would like to point out that in the course of just a dozen verses, we've gone from paradise to, you know, activities outside of the garden to murder. To apocalypse like in, now. <laughs> yeah, like in the in the span of like tw- a dozen verses. So the Bible, uh, never say that it, at least at this section, you can never say that it's slow. Yeah, we might be, we might be, but the Bible's not. Yes. Correct. Yes. All right. So what verses are we going to be covering today? Uh, let's look at 1 through 16, but we're going to do it two weeks in a row. So this is going to be a one-part two parts surprise you thought we were covering 16 <laughs> verses in one week i know as soon as he said one through 16 i was like what can Bold. it be yeah. no it cannot be so anyway so we're going to look probably at verses one through eight today uh or one through seven but we will uh go ahead to gain the full story that's it or, the trees the trees yeah. will make more sense in the context of the forest that's it. So why don't we begin, and Nathan, you haven't read it in a while. Why don't you read verses 1 through 16? Certainly. So this is Genesis 4, 1 through 16, and to remind our listeners, we are reading, as always, from the ESV. Now Adam knew, his, now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. But the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? 
If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Uh, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Well, thank you, Nathan. Excellent reading there. Uh, so there's several things we're going to look at today. We're really going to park on verse uh, number 7. and That's going to be the thrust of where we're going. But there's a few issues that we need to talk about here at, at the front. At the park. Well, good, because good, because I, I have questions. Well, <laughs> uh, why don't you go? Let's let's start immediately with your questions. Okay, this validates I've... all that's been said about us not having a plan. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> right. But I, there is a plan. There is a plan. Ish ish. There's sort it, of it, a plan. Uh, yeah. There's a plan. It's kind of like the pirate's code. It's more of a set of guidelines. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's my question. This is this is somewhat confused me because so. Abel, like, brings sheep. Like, he brings the firstborn, and God's like, oh, I'm all about that. I like that. And then Cain's like, oh, well, I, I, I grow fruit. That's what I do. And God's like, nah. You're done. Like, you know, he hits the X on, the, like, America's Got Talent. He hits the X. He's like, nah, you're done. And it, has, it does not explicitly say, although this is what I have been taught, that Cain gave God not his best. But it doesn't say that. So I'm, my question is, why did God look favorably upon Abel's offering but not Cain's? Yeah, so I would say um, most, and again, we, we don't exist in an interpretive vacuum. There are people who have read these texts and interpreted them for centuries uh, before us. So that's some help. Uh, it's interesting, uh, several Jewish interpreters in particular really highlight the fact that when it talks about Abel, um, it, it, is, it specifies both that he gave of the firstborn of his flock, so that's the best of his best, and that he gave their fat portions, uh, which, you know, uh, think think about, you know, sustaining life and how, pre- you know, fat keeps you, uh, pun intended, saturated, uh, satiated longer. Um, uh, and so to give of the firstborn and to give the fat portions seems to be highlighting that he gave of the Lord his best, um, and so most interpreters have, have from that said, well, if it's not making that observation about Cain, but it is making it about Abel, is it that Cain brought a lesser offering? And this is kind of, you kind of see evidence for this in Hebrews chapter 11, right, Matt? Yeah. In fact, I just looked that up. It says in Hebrews 11 verse 4, it says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable 
sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. So at, to comment on that too, that there could be something more to that, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but I think the, the quick takeaway, Gandalf, is that the kind of offering that Abel gave was pleasing to the Lord ultimately because of the position of Abel's heart. And Cain, the kind of offering that Cain gave ultimately was unacceptable because of the position of Cain's heart. And it's really tapped into here because at the end of verse number seven, we get this conversation about sin crouching at the door and desire is contrary to you. You must rule over it. And we're going to talk about that, but that's very spiritual language. So the biggest issue I think here is the position of the heart. Also, I think about Psalm 51. Um, in fact, let me pull it up so I can quote it exactly. And this is a psalm written by David, or at least attributed to David, uh, right. typically placed in the aftermath of his sin with Bathsheba Correct. and the consequences thereof. So in Psalm 51, 16 and 17, it says, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. So you have many instances in the Old Testament where people either don't bring the right sacrifice. I think of Aaron's son, uh, Nadab and Abihu, uh, in Leviticus uh, chapter 10. Uh, it says that they offered strange fire to the Lord, and so in turn they are consumed uh, by fire. Um but you also have many times in the Old Testament when people may bring the right offering, but like Matt's ca uh, capturing, it, they don't bring it with the right posture of the heart. Um, you see this in so many of the prophets. Uh, Isaiah one just goes on and on about this. You know, I, I don't, I don't need your sacrifices, and I don't look on them to light because I know the heart from which they are offered. And if your heart is not right before the Lord, He's probably not going to look with favor upon your offering. Yeah, um, I, I do think that works. I do think the other thing that we were actually talking about before the episode is something that I've recently been considering uh, just over the past month is that when we think typologically, and if we're thinking Chekhov's gun here, there is a theme, however, of a brother being the, the go-between between God, a priestly go-between between God and the other brother. It's going to culminate in Genesis with Joseph as the brother Absolutely. that they have to go through, and he is the hope of their salvation, that they ultimately reject. And as they reject him, he's, he's out of the picture, and it's not until they've reconciled with him that they themselves are restored. And it's interesting that Stephen, in his speech before the Sanhedrin in the book of the Acts, is he calls... Joseph, a type of Christ. So I think there's another theme here that we see. We're told here in verse number two that Abel is a keeper of the sheep and Cain is the worker of the ground. So if God is desiring here a blood sacrifice, this means that in order to have a blood sacrifice, Cain would have had to go through his brother. But rather than going through his brother, he killed his brother. And mm. that is a theme that occurs 
in Genesis, and ultimately it's going to be this whole idea of the rejected brother. Uh, you know, Israel rejects Moses uh, initially, and then actually they reject him over and over again. And then ultimately, Jesus is rejected by his brother, the nation of Israel, and surprise, surprise, as Nathan, you pointed out just a few minutes ago when we were talking about this, is that when the first generation of Jews rejected Jesus, it was only a few years after that that within they went a, into within exile. A, yeah, within a within generation. Within a generation. The temple they went was destroyed and put out of the land. Wandering. Yeah. They have no home. And that's exactly the theme we see here, is that because of what Cain has done by refusing to go through his brother, he kills his brother, and then he is put into exile. And this is the theme we see in the life of Joseph, and also the theme that we're ultimately going to see of Jesus and the the, the Jews in the, the first century. It's just amazing to me the typological connectedness, the connecting yeah. of the dots that exists in the Scripture. And there's more. Thank you were saying there's, there's actually some... I mean, that's not just loose connecting the dots on, on our end. You have... Uh, in Hebrews 12, right? Hebrews 12, 24, oh, yeah. we were discussing. It, it almost, it connects this in the in the context of talking about, by the way, moving toward an unshakable city, an eternal dwelling place that you never get kicked out of. I think that's oh, interesting. So good. In Hebrews 12. But leading up to that, talking about Jesus as the mediator of the new covenant, he says, and to the sprinkled blood, referring to Jesus's, that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. It, it It's capturing for Abel. Again, in the beginning, we said that mankind is entrusted with this priestly ministry in the garden. Well, even outside of the garden, man seems to have some f- sort of priestly ministry because they're offering sacrifice, right? Mm. Uh, but I, I love the irony. Uh, Abel offers, and, and, and Abel's offering kind of looks more like what's going on with God in Eden, you know, who clothed Adam sure. and Eve with skins. But Abel is offering an animal Cain, um, instead of going through his brother to offer an animal, acts like an animal and slaughters his brother. Um, That's good. I, I, I love the turnaround of the language that we see there in Genesis uh, 4. Um, and by the way, it needs to be said that at, at the early point in the story, just because God looks on uh, Abel's sacrifice with regard and does not have regard for Cain's sacrifice, it doesn't mean that Cain is utterly rejected. God still consoles him and he still warns him, right? Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not will do well, sin is crouching at the door. And I love this. Its desire is contrary to you or its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Why is that language significant, Matt? Because in Genesis uh, 1, mankind was to rule over uh, the you know birds of the sky, the beasts of the field, the fish of the sea. Now, because sin is part of the equation, can mankind even rule over himself, or, or will he be reduced like Cain to a beast-like existence that slaughters and takes life? And interesting, the sin is crouching at the door in Hebrew conveys this type of animalistic personified evil that it is like the serpent there waiting to rule over you Mm. so it's interesting how that fits together so matt you talked about um abel and then also later in the book of acts like stephen uh pointing towards various people as a type of christ now i don't think we've discussed 
that term on the podcast, uh, type and typological. Oh, okay. Biblical typology is so important to making sense of the Bible. I don't know that I fully embraced and f- had an, a good understanding of how biblical typology works until after I even got out of seminary. Uh, it's, it's interesting to me how the Bible fits together is that when we think of, for instance, as we're Christians, we have a bias towards, towards Christ. That's understandable, right? We have a bias. I see Jesus. Yes, I see <laughs> Jesus and I see him everywhere. For instance, a verse that we, we know, which would be Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, and he, he'll be known as Emmanuel. So when we read that we, and we see how Matthew uses that, we think, oh, well, Isaiah chapter 7, that's talking about Jesus. Now, the problem with that is that when you go back and you read Isaiah 7, that baby that's being described that a young woman is going to conceive and bear is not Jesus. It, it's a baby that's to be born in the, that generation that it was written to. However, there is a theme and a type that Jesus fulfills, and that's what the New Testament writers, that's what they do. They pick up these themes like the rejected brother, and this is what you see in that message from Stephen, the rejected brother, the rejected deliverer in Moses. And the New Testament writers saw these types found in the Old Testament. Perhaps you've heard before about, like, for instance, David and Goliath. Yes, yes, David type of Messiah, so to speak. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I'm I'm thinking just in the immediate context, the, the, the type of the shepherd, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, Abel is the shepherd, then David is the shepherd of the field who becomes a king, and then Jesus is the the, the eternal king who comes to shepherd his people Israel. Uh, so you see things within the story that are, uh, again, the more evidence you have for a supposed type, the firmer your footing, right? Because yeah. it, it is possible to, to play fast and loose with the text, and that does happen, Um uh, and so we want to avoid that. But when you have a lot of evidence uh, t- to suggest that picture is there, uh, I-, I feel much better making the claim. And, you know, so the shepherd is one of those things. It, it, does that make sense? Does it, Like what I just described, or did do you think that does justice to typology? Yeah, I think that's a good explanation. And then that kind of leads me to another question. Okay. By all means. We're saying, we're saying that that these New Testament writers are tapping into these pictures, but that leads me to another chicken and egg question. Is the, is the Bible intentionally setting up these parallels to be picked up later, or are New Testament writers going back and looking at it after the fact and seeing the parallels with the knowledge of what they've lived? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes to both. So there's a beautiful story at the end of the Gospel of Luke with Jesus on the road to Emmaus where this is after the resurrection, Jesus appears to two of his disciples. And Luke says, beginning with the the Old Testament, he begins to testify of them of how the law and the prophets told about how the Messiah must suffer and die. And it was a seven-mile walk. So clearly, it's only a seven-mile walk. 
Jesus <laughs> could not have. They didn't have time to go through the whole Old Testament. That's not least, everything is a type. I don't know what kind of pace they were keeping, but I'm guessing that's at least an hour and a half to two hours. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it couldn't have been the whole Old Testament, so we can't see Jesus everywhere. But Jesus is tapping into these types of just saying, hey, listen, there is a theme here that the Son of Man fulfills. And and that's what I think the Holy Spirit uh, enabled the New Testament writers to tap into the type and understand from the Scripture that, that hey, ultimately Christ fulfills this type. And by the way, if you've ever tried to reach a Jewish friend with the gospel, if you take a Christianized approach to the Old Testament and you just say, well, that's not about anything but Jesus, they're going to say that has nothing to do with Jesus. It has to do with this and this and this that happened in the Old Testament. Actually, your Jewish friends are right in that sense, but it's more. Jesus is fulfilling the type of what took place in the Old Testament. It's not that the Old Testament is explicitly about Jesus, but it's typologically about Jesus, so that he's ultimately the fulfillment of, yeah, and, of and, and, what's and found you, there. And you've got some of both. I also think of uh, Philip on the road with the Ethiopian eunuch, right? Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, again, so the you, you see... writer talking about himself or another. And in terms of typology, this is something I got really interested in, and uh, there's been a ton of work done with this, you know, some along uh, literary historical grounds, some along sociological grounds, uh, in sociology, there's a concept that uh, people groups have a master commemorative narrative and that the key elements in that narrative uh, become the way uh, that uh, events in the future are interpreted. You know, in other words, the, the, the present and future are interpreted in light of key uh, symbols or happenings or events from the past. Um, uh, there's also uh, work on this in uh, philosophical hermeneutics. Uh, uh, Anthony Ledun, uh, a guy who did his PhD out of the University of Durham, uh, did has done some stuff with this. All that to say, there's a lot that we could talk about with typology, um, but for the purposes of the podcast, uh, anytime you see a lot of evidence for it, uh, it, it does tend to be where there's smoke, there's fire. It's at least worth looking into, uh, but don't overstate your evidence, right? Uh, if, if, if you're the first one to see something, you're more likely to be wrong. Correct. Um, the uh, uh, Matt, one thing, I, this is a big turn in the episode, but I, I don't want us to not get this in um, because uh, you capture it so well. It's, it's one of the things that we did not get to in our discussion of uh, 4-1 last week. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, uh, you, you know, you were talking about um, how sin affects the way that the man and the women uh, the man, and the, man woman and, saw woman. Each, yeah, and the woman, yeah, the man and the woman. Uh, that's right. There's my heresy. I didn't mean that. Um, uh, but how the, the sin affects uh, how sin affects uh, how the man and the woman saw each other. But uh, talk about the intimacy, uh, uh, you know, uh, you, that you talked about in them uncovering and coming together to birth children. Because I think this passage is the other side of that coin, right? Yes. Uh, rather than. Rather than humanity and cooperation despite sin, uh, you, you get some aspect of Cain, in Cain and Abel of humanity and competition because of sin. Yes. So a couple of things. One of the things that you helped us learn, Nathan, when we were in Genesis chapter 2, is that when God says that he's going to make a helper, that, that the word there is the whole idea of the, the Savior, the Comforter. Um, 
I can't remember what episode the, the, we talked about that in, but it, it's just you, you pointed out that word. Oh, probably. I, I was probably talking about, yeah, the, the fact that Eatser is used in 1 Samuel yeah, 7. Yeah, that's it. I couldn't it, remember it, off the top It's capturing of my head. a type of help that you don't get outside of God. Gotcha. So, my, I, in fact, when we were talking on the phone the other day, I was asking you, do you think God's declaration that he was going to create an Eatser, an, a helper for Adam, a savior for Adam, do you think that was to make his compliment so he could procreate? Or do you think that was a prophetic declaration knowing that man was going to need salvation and that the seed of the woman was going to rescue him from the, the seed of the serpent? I wondered if that was a prophetic declaration. And we didn't have a good answer. It was just one of those things like, well, maybe, who knows? You, think it, get, or egg you think it gets weird on the podcast, folks. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So w- what is interesting, though, is that the whole idea is that in the garden, they were naked and unashamed. We talk about talked about that in our previous episode. And then they were naked and ashamed because of sin. Now they're expelled from the garden, and the first thing that takes place, as we talked about last week, you know, where they just I still I love last week's episode is yeah. maybe my favorite. So were they just sitting around, and Adam's like, yeah, what do you want to do? He's like, I don't know. What do you want to do? And they're like, hey, well, let's procreate. No, we don't, we don't know how it happened. That doesn't matter. The, the narrative shows that Adam knew his wife, which means sexual intimacy and that means that their clothes would have come off they would have known each other's nakedness which is now flawed because they bear shame and it reminded me of song of solomon or song of songs it reminds me of in chapter one where in fact let me just look it up because i i I hate uh, quoting scripture off the top of my head and butchering it (laughs) so Um, for instance, in Song of Solomon, chapter one and verse number five and six, it says, I am dark, but lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon, do not gaze at me because I'm dark because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me and they made me keeper of the vineyards. Um, but my own vineyard, I have not kept. So, one of the things that we see here is that she's acknowledging something about her physical appearance because she was serving her family. She's been out. This is the bride-to-be. She's been out in the sun, and it's altered her appearance. And um, she is aware that of that about her. But then when you have the lover speak to her, and uh, we're going to have to pause because I'm going to have to look it up. We're quoting from Songs of Solomon. We're going to have to mark this episode as explicit. Um, Solomon had a lot of practice with this line, by the way. Yeah. yeah. He says to her in chapter 4 and verse 7, You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. And this is God's design for intimacy. This is, and by the way, this so is so beautiful when you think about the intimacy of Christ with his bride. Uh, By the way, so as we talked about last week, um, intimacy, sexual intimacy, is to be a place of healing from a broken world, that that golden thread that connects us back to the naked and unashamed in Eden. Even though we live in a broken world, it, it is this 
interpersonal relationship that we're allowed to have with another human being, that we're aware of each other's flaws, and yet we're declared beautiful because of each other's love. And that, man, that's the gospel. Oh my goodness, that even makes me want to tear up a little bit. And um, But anyway, when you when our you listener, think of, Our listeners can't see your tears. Okay, well, I can feel them. So anyway, what I'm getting into here is that when you think about, we didn't talk about it in the last episode, is that sexual intimacy can be a very difficult and a very hard thing, even between a man and a wife. For instance, if I could just pee pastoral here uh, for just a minute, is that when you are having intimacy with your, with your bride or your husband, you are by definition vulnerable. And be so very careful what you say. I'm not saying you need to ignore the physical flaws or the personality flaws of your spouse, but cover but all vulnerability, of that. Yeah, vulnerability yeah. is the other side of intimacy. And, exactly. And that, that's, that's what I like. Cause like so, so you see the gospel element, the redemptive element, and you know, despite the trauma of what Adam and Eve and the rejection, right? Uh, right. Lord, the woman you gave me, she did it. Or your desire will be for your husband and he'll rule over you. Despite the trauma of what they experienced after sin and despite how they had come to see each other from naked and unashamed to cover and hide, you see that healing element of being uncovered. And I love the reason I wanted you to make that point from uh, Song of Solomon uh, or Song of Songs, depending on you know what people are familiar with, is because of how verse 7 ends. Um, you see the opposite of that, the, the bad news. Uh, uh, you know, Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. What's so interesting is this word for desire only occurs three times in the entire Hebrew Old Testament. Um, one of them is in Genesis 3. Your desire will be for your husband, but he will lord over you. It's a subversive type of desire. The second mm-hmm. instance is a desire here that's going to uh, lead Cain to kill his brother. Rather than Adam and Eve, despite their trauma, uh, you know, despite their trauma, Adam looks at Eve and says, this is a person with whom I want to foster life. Because of the other side of desire, Cain will look at Abel and says, this is a person I need to put to death. What's so interesting to your point is the only instance of, of this word for desire outside of Genesis 3 and 4 is ding, ding, ding in the Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, capturing the beauty of what desire looks like when it's when it's through the eyes of uh, love rather than through the eyes of envy, jealousy, yeah. and, you know, and, and sin. Um, and so, so desire I, is meant to bring healing, but unfortunately poison It can also sin. bring hurt, yeah. Yeah, I, I was listening to, uh, I believe it was uh, Dr. Tim Mackey on this, and tapping into the whole where heaven meets earth thing is that he was talking about sin is crouching at the door. We we immediately go metaphor there, and he, he was saying that the ancients would not have gone metaphor, that we, when we say, when we hear sin is crouching at the door, we think door to the heart, you know, he said it would not have been understood in that way. He said it was more likely that crouching at the door is the door is referencing the entrance back to Eden. 
that the sacrifices were most likely being offered at the entrance to Eden where heaven meets earth, and that's tapping into the place later, the tabernacle, where the place where heaven meets earth is where the sacrifices would be altered, be be offered on the altar. I just thought that was very interesting. Yeah, and how interesting uh, that uh, after Cain's sin in killing his brother, he'll literally be shown the way out. Shown uh, the way, and, and pushed even yeah. further from. Yeah, from he'll the he'll make he'll make he'll make a grand exit, not just from the garden, but from Eden altogether. And that's what we'll talk about next week. Yeah, um, well, if, if listener, if you're tired of us talking about uh, sex like we did last episode, and then we talked about a little bit this episode, I don't worry, we'll get back to the murder next time. <laughs> yeah, full soap opera. Yeah. <laughs> the, that's what we're learning. The Bible's a soap opera, and if you would like to, but it's uh, the tr- like a soap opera. But it's the true, better than fiction soap <laughs> it, opera. It, it's the true. It is the soap opera of which all soap operas are based on. Correct. That does not suggest that this podcast will be uh, as long as The Young and the Restless. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at the pace we're going, we I don't know. Maybe it will be. (laughs) (laughs) Do not cut that. Do not cut that. (laughs) Well, if if, listener, if you would like to receive updates whenever a new episode is out, you can either one of two things. You can either just tune in on Tuesday where the episode may or may not be up at whatever time you get up in the morning or you can hit subscribe like on whatever platform you're listening to and you will always receive a notification when there's a new action-packed murder filled episode of the better than fiction bible podcast so with that i'd like to say thanks for listening if indeed you still are and we will see you again next week later shalom that was good that was good that was good yeah and even if it's a little long it's no big deal